Listener advisory. This is just a stupid podcast we're doing for shits and giggles. So we apologize to any of you poor bastards that have to be subjected to, well, you know, all of this. If you stick around long enough, I'm sure you'll see what I mean. If you find dark humor and discussing awful shit with a bit of levity distasteful, well, how do you exist? Seriously, you must have a secret and I don't even want it. But really, this podcast will not be for you, and you'd probably be better off listening to any of the more somber-toned true crime podcasts that are available. For those of you still listening, you sick and twisted fucks, welcome to the worst. If we did this right, hopefully you won't like yourself by the end, but you'll laugh. Hello. Just because you suffered a major heart attack and you have to wear a pacemaker doesn't mean that you have to stop living life. Here at Picking Up the Pace Makers, we have developed a revolutionary new device that will let people who have suffered heart attacks continue living and active in a big lifestyle. But don't take our word for it. Listen to one of our many satisfied clients, Anthony. Thank you, Picking Up the Pace Makers. When I had my heart attack, I was worried that my life was over. I mean, I was at the cardio-filled life. I was active, and I took part in very physical activities that involved running, lifting heavy objects, and overall, just a a harsh training regimen like what I got used to in the Marines. I thought it was all over. I mean, I have hard hobbies, and I didn't know what I'd do if I lost those things. But picking up the pacemakers was a game-changer for me. In fact... Just last week, I hoisted something up and tossed it up like it was nothing. It had to have weighed at least 125 pounds. I built a strength and endurance of my youth. Thanks, picking up the pace, makers. Because of you, I can keep killing it in life. I love you. We love you too, Anthony. So keep your killer instinct. Keep your independent lifestyle, Anthony. And if you're interested, call us up at 555-5455 or kill. And let our trained professionals... Come up with a plan to keep you in the game, to keep your killer instinct going, to keep your active lifestyle intact. And keep killing it with picking up the pace, makers. Most medical insurance is accepted. Call us now. I want to give a big thank you to Bill Selby of Crimes, Killers, Cults, and Beer for doing that intro for us. Uh, We really appreciate it. To be honest, the first time I heard that, I was at work and I was literally dying because I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, Definitely check them out. Once again, it's Crimes, Killers, Cults, and Beer, and they're stylistically pretty close to us. And uh, that's the kind of thing they do. Hello and welcome to The Worst, the podcast of everything that is the worst. I'm your host, Mark, and sitting next to me is my lovely wife and co-host, Gina. Hello. Hello. And together we are Mental Illness Theater. On a Friday night, because this is how we spend our time. It is. I mean, what can you do? It's a hobby. It's something you can do. It's fun. <laughs> Read about cartel killings, you know. Let that run around in your mind for a little bit. It's fine. Yeah, you're doing fine this week. You're doing fine. Having a good week. Want to hear a story? Yeah. Because this week we're back to Anthony Sewell for part two, because, you know, can't just leave it as a one-parter. We've barely even begun. He's just getting started. He's killed a couple people. You know, he's served 15 years for sexual assault and he served the entire term because he refused to admit he was a sexual offender despite being in prison for a sexual offense. 
I feel like that's one of those things where the definition is in the name. I mean, I'm not a diddler, even though I diddled her. Not a diddler, even though I'm a priest. Yeah. Yeah, come on. It's in the name. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, this Pastor? Week... What do you mean? <laughs> Pastor around me, Ned. Exactly. Oh, God. Youth pastors. Yep. It's always a youth pastor. Every fucking time. So, yeah, this week we're back for part two of Anthony Sewell, and the stink just gets worse. The body count goes up, and this poor sausage factory, these poor bastards. <laughs> fucking hell. They're being unfairly targeted. <laughs> When we left off last week, it was the mid-2000s, and Anthony Sewell's life was basically falling apart. After serving a 15-year prison sentence for attempted rape, which was the definite sexual assault of Melvet Sockwell, she's the one who ended up on I the roof. I didn't do that. I know she was on the roof of my home and, you know, had been sexually assaulted. It wasn't me, though. Yeah, right? It certainly it. wasn't me. After his 15-year term, he had been released and instantly started drinking and smoking as much crack as humanly possible. Which turns out, yeah, that's a lot of crack. You get that tolerance up, you can do some epic amounts of cocaine and crack if you really want to. Yeah. Mm. Seems to be the case with almost all drugs. Because, um, I think uh, in the recent Murdoch trial... His opiate habit was like 50000 a month. I mean, fair enough. nuts. Look at us with weed. The amount, of, the amount of weed we smoke in the average day would really have an effect, like a detrimental effect on the average person who only smokes, say, like once a month maybe. Oh, you of know. course. Yeah, no, they wouldn't be able to function. So even with weed, you can get a fucking tolerance. So, yeah, with cocaine... <laughs> Fucking By 2007, Sewell's erratic behavior had chased off the owner of the home he was staying in, and this was his stepmother, Sigurna Sewell. Because she's the woman who had the kidney transplant who said, Hey, you're my stepkid, basically. I know your father, who I was with, ran when you were a kid, but technically we're still family. You're in prison. When you get out, if you need a place, let me help you out. And uh, Anthony repaid her by being a complete monster. To the point that she was like, I'm moving from my own home because, you know, look at you. Look at what you've turned my home into. I can't do this. Okay. As Sewell got more and more out of control, his girlfriend, Lori Frazier, finally had enough of his bullshit and left him. And in response, Sewell had claimed his first victim by murdering Lori's friend, Crystal Dozier who he then half-buried in his backyard. That was the one where his pacemaker, his uh, post-heart attack life was going to be a little different than he was used to. Like, mm. huh, shoveling is a lot more difficult than I remember. <laughs> Good enough. Yeah. And since killing Crystal Dozier, Sewell had gone, Sewell had gone on and killed two other women. That was LaShonda Long and Tashana Catherine Culver. Basically, he stashed, I think it was Lashana Catherine Culver's body 
in the backyard, and LaShonda Long is the one they only found the skull in his basement later. They never found her body. Mm. So that's a wonderful thing. And the scary thing is, this was just the warm-up for Sewell. This was just him getting his feet under him and realizing, oh, I can do this. Doesn't seem like anyone really minds. Hm. Well, I mean, who's going to miss them? I'm going to add this to my crack smoking and drinking. In September 2008, Sewell was walking around the neighborhood when he saw 38-year-old Vanessa Gay at a bus stop. He stopped and started chatting her up before he mentioned that it was his birthday and he was spending it alone. Well, She was lamenting on how sad spending your birthday alone must be. Well, maybe that's what it is. But yeah, so he walks up to this woman who he doesn't really know and starts giving the sob story. Like, oh man, it's my birthday and none of my friends are around. I got a party by myself. So yeah, Sewell walks up to this woman and it's just like the sob story. Feeling bad for Sewell, Vanessa agreed to go back to his place and sure, I'll hang out with you. Why the fuck not? Mistake. <laughs> Very large mistake. Once they got back to the house, Vanessa instantly noticed the overpowering stench that just permeated the entire house. But she was still in like for hanging out because Sewell had mentioned that he, he had crack. I mean, it's the power of addiction. Yeah. It really is. I mean, like, I know it stinks in here, but maybe he just doesn't clean because he's into crack a lot. He obviously doesn't clean because there's a layer of garbage a couple inches deep on the floor. Like, that could just be something under the obvious exactly. garbage that I see, Probably right? Just a dead mouse somewhere. Who knows? Man, he probably he might have a raccoon in here that passed away and he doesn't even know. Look at the shithole. And it's a three-story home. It's a big place, so... Yeah... God knows where it's coming from or what it is. Plus, crack. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. They went up to a third floor bedroom together, and then Sewell made it look like he was rummaging around to find his crack. So as he did this, Vanessa started to get comfortable, you know, take her jacket off and whatnot. And as soon as she did, Sewell turned and punched her in the face with absolutely no warning. Hello. Yep. That's fun. Yeah. He will use this ruse again where he makes it look like he's going to find something. I think it's crack again, actually. Um, just, you know, turn, turn my back to the woman and go to a desk or whatever like I'm getting my crack out. And as soon as he notices, okay, they put their guard down, they're getting comfortable, that's when, whap. Yeah. Super sneaky. Like no. Then Sewell started yelling about he... How he always tried to help the women in the community and how they always ripped him off. Which sounds a lot like Willie Pecton to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's big Pecton vibes. It really is. I try to help these addicts and they won't help themselves. Do you, Anthony? Because it seems like you offer them crack and then assault them. Right. I see no help extended here. Because at least Pecton... It seemed like there was some. I'll give you some money, you know, I'll give you a place to stay, whatever, blah, blah, blah. At least there was the pretense of that. Whereas fucking Sewell's like, hey, you want to smoke? Punch in the face. <laughs> hey, you want to smoke crack? Oh my God, you're smoking crack. Punch in the face. Dude. You're smoking crack too. That's the other thing. Like Willie wasn't hitting the rock. Yeah, right? Yeah, Jesus. He was stone sober as he did what he did. <sighs> So 
Sewell then spent the night beating and sexually assaulting Vanessa until he finally got tired and fell asleep next to her. So he did the just assault until I'm tired and then fall asleep like right there. Just thunk. I hate it. The next morning, Sewell was much calmer. And much to Vanessa's surprise, he acted like nothing had happened the night before. We're cool this morning, right? You want some pancakes? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. What do you want? Pancakes or waffles? Right. What do you I'm want? I'm making breakfast. What do you want? Waffles. I know. Same. We're waffle people. Pancakes are okay. But waffles. Yeah, I mean, someone makes nice pancakes, I will eat them and I will not complain. But if there's an option, I will always go waffles. Because they have the little pockets. Cold they're crispier. Yeah. Yeah. So with Sewell trying to play it off like nothing happened, Vanessa kind of went along with it, and then she excused herself to go to the bathroom, at which point she saw a woman's body sprawled on a bed in another room. Mm. Well, shit got weird. <laughs> shit hey. got really weird really fast. That would freak me out. Yeah. When I'd gone back to your place, even though you have roommates, if there had been a dead body anywhere in that fucking apartment. It was a shithole apartment. I mean, it's the type of apartment you would expect to find a body. Yeah, somewhere in that building, <laughs> there was definitely a dead body at some point. Oh, God, yeah. Guarantee it. Well, you remember when the Airbnb unit was stank? Mm-hmm. I mean, just saying, if you're gonna fucking... Rent a place and kill someone? Why not use an Airbnb? Well, yeah. If you're going to kill yourself, why not use an Airbnb? Yeah. I mean, the amount of suicides in hotels that don't even realize that that's a thing. Yeah. But it is a thing. It's a fucking thing. Yeah, I mean, I worked as a houseman for... Yeah, it's very common for someone to check in and check themselves out. Yeah, for eight months at a big... I won't name it, but a big hotel in Halifax. And there was at least one that I was aware of. Yeah. Probably way more than that. I would assume so. Mm-hmm. So in the bathroom, Vanessa tried her best not to have a complete panic attack, and she considered her options, because, like you said, shit got real, real fast. Like, shit was real, you were just assaulted, and now this guy's playing it off like nothing happened, but now you've seen... i offering you waffles? Yeah. <laughs> but now you've seen a dead body in a bedroom. Like, just there? That's real fucking real. I have a problem with that. <laughs> I don't like it. I have a problem with all of this. Yeah, well, there's that. Mm-hmm. She was on the third floor, so jumping out of a window didn't seem like a great option, because that's a pretty long drop. It's like <laughs> jumping off the roof of our house. Yeah, that's pretty high. <laughs> that's a long drop. I don't think I'm going for that. You're going to live, but you're not going to be very mobile. So now you're really injured. You're out of the house, but you're not getting anywhere. Exactly. Like, as soon as he notices, he can get you back in that house. And as someone who already has bad knees and ankles. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, you don't want to be this kind of hobbled. That's an explosive impact at that. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Fuck. She also knew that Sewell was literally in the way of any other way out of the house. So it's either out a window or through Sewell. So, you know. So she weighed the options and decided the best thing to do is play this off like nothing happened, just like Sewell is trying to do himself. I have to agree with her. Unfortunately, 
Sewell had noticed when Vanessa spotted the decomposing body in the bedroom. And he informed her when she came back from the bathroom that he now couldn't let her leave the house. Err. Well, that's going to be a problem. <sighs> Wait for it. <laughs> In a testament to Vanessa's survival instinct, she literally turned it like in that second and was able to play this off too. Because instead of mentioning the body or anything like that, she played it off as... Though he was talking about what had happened the night before. So instead of panicking, she just started saying, you know, last night was a little rougher than I'm used to. And maybe, you know, there was a little bit. But honestly, you, you didn't cross any lines. You don't have anything to worry about. Like, it was all consensual, Anthony. It's fine. Somehow. Please don't fucking kill me. Somehow this worked. She convinced Sewell that, that she was talking about the sex last night and that if he was worried or anything, he had nothing to worry about because she consented to everything. Ah, I mean, that's fucking smart as hell. She is now the patron saint of fucking mental illness theater because how? Seriously. I mean, you were just. You a... have to have balls of steel in that moment, in mm -hmm. that fucking room collect yourself to the point that you can play this off yeah like that is incredible the strength that this woman fucking found to not lose her poker face in that moment with him yeah that's the what i'm talking like that's the, crazy the turn on a dime because you came up with this idea of what you'll do when you come out of the bathroom and then instantly you have to turn just like that and she, she yeah shifts she gears like it's nothing like okay this is what we're doing now. Fine. She deserves an Oscar. Yep. And her life depended on it. And it fucking did. Yeah, it did. You're going to die. Oh, Jesus Christ. you're going to convince him not to kill you. And go. Scene. So, yeah, even though Anthony was a little, you know, skeptical at first, Vanessa played it so cool he eventually believed her and let her leave. Of course, the first thing Vanessa did as soon as she was out of the house was go to the police you and tell them, right? I was just assaulted by Anthony Sewell in this house. Yeah. That's the first thing I'm doing, too. And she was the first of, I think it's three women who come forward about being assaulted by Anthony Sewell. It might be four. It's at least three. We'll keep a count as we go through. And, of course, all these women were ignored. Well, I mean. Why would we believe them? Vanessa ran to a friend's house who called the police for her, and they informed her they couldn't actually send an officer down oh, right, we're now. Busy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. We are absolutely swamped. And if she wanted to report anything, man, she'd have to come to the police station and make a report. Obviously. There. Now, you can come to us if you want to actually bother with the paperwork. As a black woman who had her struggles with drugs she didn't feel the most comfortable going to the east Pol or east cleveland police department to tell them about an assault that they obviously didn't care about so what she didn't go kind of nonsense i know how are you trying to sell me that the cleveland police aren't nice to black women are you saying you're siding with a victim instead of the police department Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, no question whatsoever. Because I, I don't blame her at all for not going down. Like, nope. Nope. It's a whole different environment too. Sitting in your friend's apartment, 
compared to a police station. Especially, even for me, with no police whatsoever, it's a different thing. You throw in, yeah, she's probably had run-ins with police before. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no fucking way. In October 2008, Sewell killed 44-year-old Michelle Mason, another local woman who struggled with drug addiction. And her story, oh my god, her story is particularly rough. Several years before, Michelle got shot in the face. <laughs> I just She was shot in the face in East, in East Cleveland on East 131st Street. Uh, yeah. Covered in blood near death. Horrifying. She actually made it to a mini-mart to get help. She was taken to a hospital where doctors removed her shattered eye and replaced <laughs> it with a glass one. While the bullet was left in the back of her neck. I know somebody who has that. <sighs> Not the shattered eye part, but the bullet lodged by their spine in their neck. She got shot in the <coughs> eye. She got sh No fucking thank you. Shot directly in the eye. Oh my god. Not much is known about the actual attack on Michelle Mason, because like we mentioned in part one, Anthony Sewell was not a talker. And by the time they found the remains of these women, there wasn't much... Much to you talk about? Yeah, there wasn't much to tell the story of what had happened. Yeah, unfortunately. What is known is that Sewell strangled her and buried her in the backyard. Her body was found wrapped in black plastic bags and wrapped in a carpet padding. So Ooh. he's learning a bit because his... Well, that's more effective than just half buried, right? Exactly, because that's what he did with Crystal Dozier. And that first victim, there was a smell complaint. So, yeah, it only gets worse. Well, I can't let them keep complaining about me. <laughs> I'm only going to buy this the Sausage Factory for so long. <sighs> Later in November 2008, Sewell murdered 53-year-old Tanya Carmichael. Unlike the majority of Sewell's victims, Carmichael was not from the neighborhood and she didn't seem to have any prior contact with Sewell because most of these victims either know him well enough to be friends with him or know him through the neighborhood because he's there. He hangs out on a stoop. He's well known in his little neighborhood as a guy who's always kind of ready to party. I don't like it. Sewell used the offer of crack to get Carmichael back to his place, and that's where he strangled her with an electrical charger for a cell phone or a camera. Sewell buried her body in his backyard in clear plastic bags. Tonya Carmichael was one of the three women who was reported missing, because, once again, of the 11 victims, only three are reported missing. One thing we're going to see is that as Sewell escalated, he got more and more brazen in his attacks, which is always such a good thing. On December 8th, 2008, Sewell committed one of his boldest and most public attacks. Gladys Wade, who was, I didn't get her exact age, it's either mid to late 30s, was at a local corner store or at a bus stop, depending on what version of the story. There are multiple versions. What I could piece together, it seems like they run into each other in the corner store, and then Gladys leaves and goes to a bus stop. So. Which is a pretty average thing to do. 
It is, and it seems like Sewell took notice of her in the store, talked to her a little bit, and then she went to the bus stop, and that's where the assault happens. Sewell propositioned Wade, who turned him down, so he's just like, hey, baby. Date? <laughs> you want to spray, you gotta pay. Date. And then Sewell just started beating the ever-loving shit out of this woman, which makes me think it's the bus stop, because I feel like... You start beating anyone in a corner store, people are going to intervene. No one intervenes here, so I feel like it was at the bus stop. I mean, are you intervening? Fuck no, man. I'm on the business. Sewell quickly knocked Glass unconscious, but as he was dragging her into his house, she came to and started fighting back. Uh. And despite her injuries, oh, Gladys fought back fucking hard. Love Gladys. Sewell grabbed her by the throat and started to strangle her, and Gladys clawed at his face and bit him. Yeah. During the struggle, the two went through a glass back door, and Gladys was able to break free and run to relative safety at first. You see, at first she ran to a restaurant across the street, but she was refused entry because I guess she was bleeding too much. They didn't let her in. Oh this God. woman oh who God. obviously oh she's oh bleeding God. from oh glass wounds. God. She's been beaten by this fucking dude. And this restaurant's just like, yeah, nope. are you buying anything? Could you, like, maybe call the police for me? Well, actually, she had a great stroke of luck after, because basically, after being refused entry at the restaurant, she literally ran into a police patrol car. And she told them, hey, this guy who lives right there is who just did this to me. Because I know he lives there. That's where he was dragging me. Yeah. Now, probably helped by the fact that Gladys wasn't from the... Uh, from the area, i.e. she wasn't addicted to drugs, along with her injuries, which seemed to back up her story. I mean, this woman is bleeding from a lot of glass wounds. The police seem to have taken Gladys seriously. Oh my God. Crazy. And Sewell was arrested. Hmm. Now, I have some questions about this arrest because there's not much information, but here's my thing. Where did they arrest him? Because if they went to his house to arrest him... How did they miss everything else? The neighbors are complaining about the smell from this... What? In the neighborhood. They don't know it's from the house. But I feel like a police walked into that house or to the door. I mean, was it allergy season? It's fall. This is in... Well, then there's no excuse because they shouldn't be stuffy. It's December 8th. Maybe everything's a little frozen. Could damp down the smell a bit. I, I just have a lot of questions. That's my only potential. Like, I'm having. I'm struggling to find a reason that they wouldn't fucking pick up on the smell. I, that's what I'm wondering. That's all I got. Unless he wasn't in the house and he's like chasing her. Right? Yeah. Which is possible. You never know. But this is where Sewell caught a huge, huge lucky break. We're going to name a detective by name here. His case was assigned to Detective Georgia Hussein, and despite the physical evidence of the attack, Hussein decided there wasn't enough there to press charges. 
<sighs> Ma'am. Now it's worth stopping here and remembering, Sewell is a registered sex offender. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's well within the police's right to just walk into Sewell's at any time. He doesn't even have to be arrested or under any suspicion. They can just walk into his house and be like, we're doing a search because you're a convicted sex offender. But this bitch is like, meh, ah, we got nothing. She's not bleeding enough. I think she went through that glass willingly. Yeah, she mm-hmm. was into it. She's just mad because he doesn't want her anymore. So I, I have lots of questions because this is where it should have been over. Yeah, seriously. Right here. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, even if you didn't arrest him in the house or you, whatever, sure, fine. But come the fuck on. Yeah, you now have evidence. You have this woman who was obviously assaulted saying it was this man in this house. All you have to do is look and see he's a convicted sex offender. I mean, it's over. Seriously. Whew. Apparently not, though. What do we know about policing? Nothing. More than Georgia Hussein. Uh-huh. <laughs> As we mentioned in part one, the first complaint about the smell in Sewell's neighborhood was filed with the city in late June or early July 2007. And this had been from a single half-buried body in Sewell's backyard. One. 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 How many are we at now? By the next year, with four more bodies on Sewell's property, the smell was that much worse and more complaints were lodged with the city. Shocker. Most of the blame fell on Ray's Sausage, a sausage factory which had the misfortune of being next door to Anthony Sewell's. (laughs) Ray's Sausage was run by Raymond Cash, and Ray did major renovations that cost either $20,000, 30000 or nearly $200,000, depending on what source you believe. Personally, I think the $200,000, I saw it in the newspaper, and I think it was a misprint. Because mm. every other one either says twenty or thirty, Which, fair enough. Yeah, you know. it makes sense. It seems much more reasonable. And all these renovations were to get rid of the smell. This is filtration systems and everything you can possibly do to damp down the smell of a sausage factory. Guess what, though? Didn't work. Didn't do a goddamn thing for the stench in the neighborhood. And in reality, the employees at Ray's knew the problem wasn't the factory, as they frequently had to leave the factory because of the stench that was wafting in from outside. Because I'm assuming, I mean, in a factory like that, you can tell. If it's coming from outside, it's going to be near the walls, the exterior walls. If it's coming from inside the factory, it's going to be from whatever, you know. Oh, it's from the the line. It's from where the animals go through. Ray himself said, quote, There was a strong stench that was in the air. Because we're in the meat business, people assume that it was us. But when they walked into our factory, there was no smell like that. It was always outside. So the sausage factory was an oasis. Which should tell you something. You should. The Now the funny thing is, Ray was friends with Anthony Sewell. And he even asked him to keep an eye on the factory when Ray was out of town. Oh my god. Mm Mm-hmm. On at least one occasion, Sewell called the police when he witnessed... Someone trying to break into Ray's sausage. <laughs> so oh he's killing and assaulting local women like well, a snitching. sport. But 
oh, that guy's breaking into my friend's factory. I gotta call the police on that. That's too mm-hmm. much. And the city itself even did work on the sewage line in the neighborhood. But obviously this did nothing because of, hey, the bodies. You know. It's the bodies. What is it? The bodies. In January 2009, 43-year-old Kim Yvette Smith was strangled by Sewell, presumably using his standard method. Because that's, once again, we don't know a lot about the killings because Sewell never Mm. said anything. I didn't do it. Yeah, it wasn't me. Smith was addicted to. Smith was addicted to. Jesus Christ! Stutter. Got that crack stutter. Smith was addicted to crack, and that's how he lured her in. That's what it's assumed. Oh, I mean that was his method. Yeah, her body would be found in Sewell's backyard, wrapped in black and clear plastic bags. Her ankles and wrists were tied together with cloth, and she was found nude from the waist down. I didn't do that. She put herself there. It's an elaborate suicide. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why you're even bothering with me. After the murder of Smith, Sewell took the rest of the winter off because Cleveland winters are a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they get lake effect snow, which... Yeah. That's a bear. We're in New Brunswick, Canada, which is eastern Canada, and we get some pretty bad winter. Lake effect snow is insane. When I get buried overnight, that's how you get buried overnight. Well, it's the speed. Yeah. Like, we'll get a foot or two of snow sometimes in really bad snowstorms, but it'll take days to accumulate that much. Whereas lake effect, it's like, oh, it seems fun. Oh, shit, six hours. It just dropped two feet of snow. Huh. It'll do that. But in spring 2009, Sewell came out of his hibernation and started trolling for victims again because he is a seasonal killer. And the romance is in the air in the springtime. It is. Mm. (laughs) And it didn't take him long to run into a friend of his, 47-year-old Amelda Hunter. Sewell used his usual offer of crack to get Amelda in his house. And as soon as they were inside, Sewell strangled her with the strap of her own purse. Melda was later found buried in a shallow grave in the backyard. Also in April 2009, Sewell sexually assaulted a woman who decided to remain anonymous. She said she went to the police and a rape kit was taken, but the rape kit was never tested and the police never followed up. Hmm. 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 Wonder why she stayed anonymous. Yeah. This would be a very busy month for Sewell, as on April 21st, 2009, he invited a friend, 42-year-old Tanya Doss, to come over and watch the basketball game that night. This was Cavs versus Pistons Game 2 of the first round, because sports people. The two smoked some crack and watched the game together, which the Cavaliers won 94-86. But as soon as the game ended, Sewell started strangling Tanya with no warning. So obviously, despite being in East Cleveland, he's not a Cavs fan, is my takeaway. Mm. Yeah. Tanya was obviously shocked by this because we had just been sitting here smoking a bit of rock and watching basketball for hours. Like, it's not like basketball is a short sport. No. Yeah, you're talking like two and a half hours watching that game. Smoking crack. Mm Mm-hmm. Hanging out. Yeah, yeah, at some point you can put your guard down. Yeah. Not as a woman. Never put your guard down. 
Keep it up. After a years later, still up. Don't trust that husband. You never know. <laughs> I am shifty. They are. After a struggle, Sewell pinned Tanya to the floor, and in a very weird move, he told her if she wanted to live to knock on the floor three times. Tanya, wanting to live, knocked on the floor three times. All right. And Sewell eased up a little bit. Sewell let her get up, and then he told her to strip. Then he spent the rest of the night sexually assaulting Tanya, because, I mean, of course, Mm -hmm. this guy's an asshole. If he's not going to murder you, he's going to do something terrible to you. Come on now. It's not a party. And next morning, guess what? Sewell was back to his normal self and acting like nothing had even happened. What are you talking about? Tanya thought she... She didn't know what to make of this at first. Because, I mean, you sexually assaulted me for hours last night and threatened to kill me. So. Hmm. Just leave. Well, she's another smart woman because she faked getting a text from her daughter and said she had to leave very... Quickly, because her granddaughter was sick and had to go to the hospital. So, Sewell was like, all right. See ya. Catch you later. Now, yes, uh, fuck. You're not going to like this at all. You're not going to like the next couple minutes, so be prepared. Buckle up. Mm-hmm. I don't like much, so here we are. So, Tanya got the hell out of Anthony Sewell's house, and she happened to be close to a friend's place. So, she went there to report. Basically, what had happened? Tell her friend and call the fucking police, yeah. right? Well, this friend, 45-year-old Nancy Cobbs, told Tanya that she had to be mistaken. She was also friends with Sewell, and she couldn't believe that he would do such a thing. And in the end, Tanya didn't report the attacks to the police. No, Anthony's a good guy. He wouldn't do something like that. No, don't go to the police. Ruin this guy's life over nothing. Think about the boys, honey. Think about the boys. Women are not very good at supporting other women. Yeah, wait for it. (laughs) On April 26th, 2009, so just five days after the attack on Tanya Doss, Nancy Cobbs went over to Sewell's to see if he had any crack. Sewell took this opportunity. Nancy. Nancy. You know. You fucking know. What do you think of Nancy? What do you think about the situation? I, I hate blaming the victim. Yeah. So much. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But Jesus fucking Christ, Nancy. Nancy. What are you doing? I mean, crack. He's an upstanding crack dealer. He couldn't possibly have hurt you. Yeah. It just baffles me. So yeah, Nancy shows up. Got any crack? So, uh, guess what happened to Nancy? I would be shocked if Nancy is alive today. No, Sewell took this opportunity to strangle Nancy with a tube stop. Stock. Tube sock before stashing her body in his front room. So now he's just like... Yeah, throw it in the <laughs> This is not the Victorian era. This is not your dead child. You don't put the dead body on display in your parlor. Sure, why not? You, you know, Cleveland. you don't know me. Yeah, 
trying to bring that fucking trend back. Yeah, this is 2009, East Cleveland, non-Victorian era. I mean, I feel good about this. <laughs> ah, Jesus Christ. I don't know what your problem is. In Display G- that body. Oh, you're one of those, are you? Yeah. You want to Shut put on a show. Off. I want to traumatize everybody who comes in contact with this crime scene. Have you met me? You're artistic. Yeah. I mean, I shouldn't even admit to this, but I have. Okay, it's from Death Clock. That's all I'm saying. But I have looked up to see if there's ever been a crime where someone took someone's entrails and just pitchforked them into a tree. So... There are fun rumors about that recently. Oh, nice. In a crime, but I don't want to say what crime because I would hate for that to circle back to their families again because they've been through enough. But um, instead of over a tree, it was supposedly strewn over the ceiling fan. Ah. Uh, well, there was no ceiling fan. I, so it was a pretty easily debunked rumor. Hmm. No, I definitely got the idea from Death Clock when they go into the South to learn the blues. Yeah. And that's one of the stories about a blues song about the guy who, you know, pitchforks the entrails into a tree. And I remember just, I laughed too hard at that. Another one of those ones, you shouldn't be laughing that hard at this. Like, yeah, it's funny, but you are just taking way too much joy in that. Yeah, but (laughs) why shouldn't I? The exploding child in that fucking vampire movie. Yeah. Man, he gives this big monologue about life and death and just blows up at the end. It's like... (laughs) I'm the only one in the theater laughing. Your weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Partner on some fucking dead guy. That's my mother's favorite movie. I understand it. <laughs> this makes sense to me. In June 2009, Sewell strangled 31-year-old Talisha Fortson, another recovering addict. She was found nude from the waist down in a third-floor bedroom, strangled with a cloth ligature. Wow. Later in the summer of 2009, 48-year-old Janice Janice Denise Webb. Do your parents not like you very much? I don't know. Janice Denise? She was strangled. They were arguing over which name to give you, weren't they? It's not good. I mean, we're just going to call her Janice. Yeah, but seriously, was there a fight? Are you named after, like, two grandparents? One was Janice, one was... Who, how did you decide which name came first? Denise Jenny? Uh, that Denise? was the big fight. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she was strangled with a green belt, and her nude body was found in the basement of Sewell's home. It was wrapped in a plastic bag and buried, quote unquote, beneath a mound of dirt. Just <laughs> throw some dirt on top of her. Janice's wrists were found bound with shoelaces when they found her body, too. Yeah. I hate this guy. Sewell's final murder victim was probably 48-year-old Diane Turner. And there are a few details on this crime. Because it is kind of hard to figure this out, too, when, when you're not getting missing persons reports and stuff like that. It's hard to tell when some of these women went missing. Yeah, that kind of... Has a big impact, unfortunately. It does. It really does. Even though there are a few details we could assume what he did, the lure of crack or just partying or even a drink, you know, yeah. just come back. Because apparently he's a charming dude, too. 
people I hate it. don't yeah. see it coming, and then all of a sudden he's doing horrible things. Womp. Diane's body was found in a black plastic bag in the third floor bedroom. Now, after Sewell's eventual arrest, the East Cleveland Police Department would claim there wasn't much they could do as most of these women weren't reported missing. Like we mentioned, it's three out of 11. Mm-hmm. Which... Not great. That is a fact, and that is hard to work with. Sure. They also pointed to the fact that their missing persons department had 13 officers and it handled about 1,350 cases a year. The ECPD also had 4,300 untested rape kits on file. So the, yeah, so the police department had some issues. In short, what they're saying is we're swamped. Don't look over there. We don't have enough manpower to go through the amount of crime that we have. That's basically what they're saying. And they really stick to that in this case. There's nothing we could have done. And even, I'm not going to question any of these numbers. I don't really know. Yeah, right. But what I, what I will say is you've had three women come forward and say this guy assaulted me and you've done fucking nothing. Yeah. With one woman, Gladys Wade, it seemed like you went out of your way to find a reason not to arrest Right. Because this is a woman who's cut up with glass cuts and beaten up and saying, this is the man, that's the house. And ah, there's not enough there. Not that I'm anti- got nothing. I'm not anti-police or anything, but... All cops are bastards. Uh, it seemed... In a group, all cops are bastards. Individually, you may find a good one, but they will be fucking ruined by having to work within the structure well, that's of what... their group. The institution itself is yes. just... It ruins good police officers. It does. Like I've said to you many times, I do not believe most police officers get into the force wanting to be bad police. I think it's the actual institution of the police force that I agree with you. You either get out or you're just you're it's impossible to be a good cop in the way it's set up. No. Not that I'm negative about it or anything. No. <sighs> Get ready to be a little more pissed off, because this is great. On September 22nd, 2009, a police deputy claimed they stopped by Sewell's home in what should have been a routine checkup of a convicted and registered sex offender. Now, my guess is this checkup never happened, and the deputy just said they did their job. Let's tick that box. Yeah, I gotta go to McDonald's instead. Because if they did go to Sewell's, I don't understand how they missed the smell of 11 decomposing bodies in his home and backyard. It's kind of hard to miss. It should She's be. in the parlor. <laughs> is that a mannequin? That's not a mannequin. It's never a mannequin. Ever. Why do you think it's a mannequin? Because your brain doesn't want to process what you're seeing. Yeah. Right. So that very evening, the same evening that this police officer said, Oh yeah, I stopped by and did my check. I was totally there. Mm. (laughs) A woman from the neighborhood named Latundra Billups met Sewell at at Imperial Beverage, which is a corner store very close to Sewell's. Also, I'll point out, because I didn't like it, uh, the owner of Imperial Beverage said some really, really, really shitty things about the victims of this case. He's a bad yeah. person. I'm not going to repeat them, but... No, because he's a bad person. Yeah. These things shouldn't have been said in the first place. Oh, yeah. He said on camera, 
Well, yeah, and it's know. like, holy fuck, man. Like, I understand you might have had problems as a store owner in the neighborhood, but Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Be less openly hateful. Yeah, stop. Nah. Don't be a total prick about the dead. Nah. Yeah. Latendra asked if Sewell had any crack because, like I said, he was known in the neighborhood as the man with crack. Yeah. And the two ended up going to Sewell's for a smoke session. Yeah, I got some crack, I'll smoke you up. While Sewell rummaged for his crack, or made it look like he was rummaging for his crack. His go-to move. Mm-hmm. Latendra let her guard down for a second, and that's when Sewell punched her in the face. Sewell then wrapped an extension cord around Latendra's neck and strangled her until she was unconscious. When Latendra came to, Sewell told her that he was going to have to kill her now. Well, I mean... You weren't supposed to come too, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be real. But Latendra, she was a lot like Vanessa Gay. Survival instinct off the fucking charts here. Because she played it cool as a cucumber and she convinced Sewell that, uh, once again, that she... She I was into t- it, man. I was into it. You're talking about the sex. Don't worry about it. Sure, it was rough. You know, it was a little choky. It's what I like, though. It's a little more than I'm used to, but yeah, I think you kind of got me into it. Yeah, yeah. baby. Yeah. Of course, everything was not cool. No. And Latundra reported the attack to police on September 29th, 2009. So just a couple days after. And it's because of this report that Sewell was finally caught. Although it took the police an entire month to get back to Latundra. Yeah. That's a long fucking month. Guess what happened in that intervening month? How many other people died? Uh, nobody died, okay. but there was at least one more assault. I was going to say. This one is, oh, this, this is a lot. On October 20th, 2009, Sewell met Sean Morris at a bus stop, and although she didn't actually know Sewell, she did know his reputation as someone who had crack and would smoke somebody up. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, wait, there's a lot of fucking this one. Sean agreed to go to his place with him when he offered, hey, you want to smoke some crack? And after smoking together for a while, Sean left without anything happening. No problem. She's out of the house. Everything's fine. Then she realized she had left her wallet at Sewell's. Oh, whoops. Yeah. When she realized, she turned back and, you know, I gotta get my... Gotta get my wallet. Sewell let her in, and as Sean was going up the stairs to the second floor, he followed behind her and started strangling her with a ligature. I mean... Whap. Sewell sexually assaulted her, but afterwards, he got a bit distracted, and Sean saw, you know, a chance to get the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. So she ran for one of the second floor windows. Unfortunately, Sewell caught up with her, and then the two fought. So now they're fighting next to the window. Both, Both completely nude, both high on crack. And they fought, and during the fight, uh, Sean pulled away from Sewell and toppled out the window to the alley below. Uh, I mean, you're out of the house. You're out of the house, but this is a bad fall, and we know... That's second story fall. We know this. It's bad enough if you jump and you can aim it. (laughs) 
going to be bad, but to topple out? Yeah. And we know it's a topple out. You know how we know? Because they were fighting. Because there's security camera footage from the nearby restaurant that caught fucking Sean Morris (laughs) falling, toppling out of this window. Yeah, it is not good. No. Yeah. Sean broke both her hands, ate Ugh. ribs, and fractured her skull. Oh, it's fuck. a bad fall. Yeah, it's... that is a bad fall. I mean, I knew it was going to be bad, but that's fucking yeah. bad, bad. A local bar owner saw Sean and realized she was badly injured. Yeah, and, please help me. Yeah, and as he was getting ready to call 911, Sewell came out of the house completely nude. Not even a fucking towel on. He comes running out dick, dick out. Ow. I got a check on her. Sewell tried to explain that Sean had fallen out the window while they were having sex. But the bartender was having none of this bullshit. Sewell tried to take Sean back to his house. No, no, don't worry about it. Just let me... Here, I'll take her. Yeah. She's all good. But this bartender... And he was really, like, there's there's this bit where he talks. This guy is a mind-your-business type dude. Like, he basically says, if this wouldn't, or if Sean hadn't have been so fucked up from the fall, there's no way he would have gotten involved. But this woman is obviously majorly injured. She's not okay. She's, this isn't a twisted ankle. Yeah. You're not just a little mobility, you know. You've got a fractured fucking skull and fractured ribs and two broken hands. Yeah, you can't just take her inside. Yeah, so he... That's he, not going to be cute. Yeah, he told Soul to basically go fuck himself. This woman needs to go to the hospital now. <sighs> How'd that go? Oh, it went well. Because Soul, Fucking hell. Oh, God. How big are this man's balls right now? Because when the ambulance showed up, he got in the fucking back of it. With her and drove to the hospital with her. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. But the horrifying thing about that is... Yeah. Um, they like to keep you close. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you've ever been in this position, you know that they don't want to let go of control. Like, just because they haven't killed you yet... Yeah. Doesn't mean they don't want to, and they certainly don't want the consequences of you being gone. Yeah. Now, in the hospital, when Sean regained consciousness, she asked if she could call her husband. She was informed that she didn't have to. He was already in the waiting room. No, he's not. (laughs) You know. No, he's not. Because when Sean looked, it wasn't her husband sitting in the waiting room. No. It was Sewell sitting and waiting for her. Like a human fucking monster. Oh, yeah, because I'm going to finish what I started. Oh, Jesus Christ. After traveling in the ambulance with Sean, Sewell had the balls to tell the hospital staff that the two were married. I'm her husband. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Police were called and they questioned Sean, but she claimed she had fallen out the window during consensual sex and there was nothing they could do. I wonder if Sewell was still there. Yeah, right? Yeah. I better say it's consensual or this man's going to fucking murder me when the police leave. Yeah. Because they're obviously not going to do anything. They're, they're certainly gonna not going to take him away from no, me. fuck no, they're no not. No one's going to save me. No, they're going to leave him in the room with me and mm-hmm. then just be like, all right. Got lots of pillows. Call us if he stabs you. 
I don't know. He'll just pillow her. <laughs> Pillowing. Yeah. A month after the attack on Latundra Billups, the police finally got around to taking a statement from her about the attack that Sewell had done. Well, I mean... <sighs> a month. We're busy. A fucking month. We're busy. I get that you're busy, but I mean, some things are slam dunks. Like, I, okay. I get you're underfunded and all that, and some comes with a really complex case that is going to be a ball buster, and it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort. This is literally, this guy did this to me. Yeah, I know. He lives right there. But you're a woman, and he's a man. He's also, or he's also black. She's also black. Exactly. He is too, but, yeah. But still... Latendra told the police that if they searched Sewell's house, they would find a pair of her underwear in his third floor bedroom. This is what they look like. This is where you'll find them. They're not supposed to be there. I did not consent to this. Yeah, but your underwear in his house. You must have consented. <sighs> when the police asked if she thought they would still be there a month after the attack, Latendra explained that Sewell was not a cleaner. He's, he's not a tidy type. It's, that's going to be there. There might be stuff on top of it, but you're going to find it right there. And this was an understatement, because by now the filth was complete, with flies and maggots having joined the party on account of all the bodies. And the reek emanating from the house was nearly indescribable. Punch in the face. There are some gross pictures where it's like, where does the carpet stop and the filth begin? You don't, you don't uh, even want to know. You no, know, you really don't. Because like, that carpet has filth mashed into it. The maggots are living in the carpet. Yeah. Which means there's got to be something in the carpet for the maggots to live off of. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I don't like the math of this. No. No. no it's bad math. <laughs> yeah, this is a bad man. And the police, they walked into all of this when they finally executed a search warrant on Sewell's home on October 29th, 2009. They finally got around to it. Convicted sex offender. Well, we wanted to save the spooky house tour for right before Halloween. It is, too. 29th of October. Uh, <laughs> it's a spooky house tour, all right. Yeah. Check out the parlor. Just hanging out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been staging this place waiting for this. <laughs> They're decorations now. I don't think so. Uh, and it took the... Obviously, it took the police about two seconds to realize this wasn't going to be, you know, a search for a pair of women's underwear. This no. is going to be a little more than That's underwear. Seven heads in a fridge. I... Do you care about the no. panties anymore? No, probably not. No, we don't there care. All of this. <laughs> the parlor is just sitting there. She was waving at us when we came in. Yeah, he has her hand propped up. <laughs> we get a Bernie's. Yeah, yeah, you get it. I mean, seriously. God. If you're going to do it, at least stage them up in interesting ways like that. I'm sure he was having fun with them. Best not to think about it. Yeah, we got At it. least he's, he wasn't a talker, so we don't really know, but uh, I wonder. I have questions. 
Pretty soon, tons of police descended on Sewell's to start their investigation. Now, Sewell hadn't been home when the search warrant was executed, and when he got close to his place, well, he kind of noticed this police presence. So, uh, he bolted, obviously. Yeah. Which is kind of badly done. Once again, East Cleveland Police Department. Like, what are you doing? Seriously. You don't you, even know how to fucking pull this off properly? You don't know where he is. Mm-hmm. You know he's not home, so you can assume at some point he's going to come home. And he's going to see you. He's going to see you, and what's he going to do? Bolt. Because he's not going to waltz in. He knows what's in his house. That's just it. Like, sometimes Bob Rudella did. What's all the police for? Oh. Oh, that's me. I'm Bob Rudella. Ah. Well. I know I've done other cases where this exact thing has happened, where they've shown up with a search warrant. And the dude hasn't been home, and they back off and wait. Yeah. They wait for the guy to get home, and then they arrest him and execute the search warrant. Or they at least figure out where the fuck he is, so he's not just in the... Allowed to stroll up on this? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. My honey feels me. Oh, yeah. (sighs) Stupid. God damn. On October 30th, three more bodies were found. Two Two in an upstairs crawl space and one buried in the basement. On October 31st, Sewell was finally arrested a mile from his house, and three days later, he was charged with five counts of aggravated murder. So they finally got him. The same day, the remaining six bodies were found. On November 4th, the coroner said all 11 of Sewell's victims were black women, and he named the first person to be positively identified, and this was Tanya Carmichael. The next day, Talisha Fortson and Tashawn Culver were also identified, followed by Nancy Cobbs on November 6th. On the 7th, Michelle Mason, Crystal Dozier, and Imelda Hunter were all ID'd. Sewell was held on a $5 million bond. Which, good luck. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good, yeah. <laughs> Damn. Ooh. Yeah. And his trial was originally supposed to start on June 2nd, 2010. But as the enormity of the case became clear, because, I mean, you got 11 victims, that's a lot to go through. That's a lot. Yeah, it's... It's hefty. And in disgusting filth house like that, sorting through it, all the evidence. <laughs> yeah, it's going to take time. <laughs> God. So originally... Sewell's defense team said they needed more time to prepare, and the and the date of the trial was pushed to September 7th, 2010. Then it kept getting pushed back before it finally started on June 6th, 2011. Sewell faced a total of 11 counts of aggravated murder and a four and a further 74 counts of rape, kidnapping, tampering with evidence, and abuse of a corpse. So he was at least posing them. I mean, I don't want to know. Although I'm sure technically they can get you on abuse of a corpse by just keeping it in your house. Because that's not proper disposal. Or yeah. You kind of hit exactly where I was going. Because I don't want to know the technical definition what constitutes and what doesn't constitute abuse of a corpse. I don't need that. Yeah. Yeah. 
be, I'm pretty sure it goes just down to the very basic of, you just didn't do anything. You, you folded it there. up like a fucking folding chair. Yeah. And threw it in a crawl in space. Like, Jesus Christ, uh, that was a human being, and look what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. I had fun, though. Mm-hmm. Crack me, do funny things. Sewell's attorney, John Parker, claimed there was no DNA or fingerprints connecting Sewell to the 11 bodies found in and around his home. <laughs> Your face fucking brilliant. I mean, I know this body is in my parlor, and there's a couple in the basement, and there's a couple upstairs. I mean... A couple in a crawl space and a bunch of my... They're yeah. interesting defense gambits, but that one is just... It's good. Are you freaking kidding me, sir? I feel like he... I gotta put something together. I gotta put something together and stand behind it and argue it like I actually think it's true. So, I'm going with this. I mean, yeah. The defense had... Very little chance to win, and this was especially true after the jury was taken on a field trip to Sewell's home, where they were walked through the carnage. So, there's I mean, they moved the bodies, but I'm sure you can find the body spot in the parlor. Oh, yeah. I'm sure the stench isn't completely gone. Oh, no. You're not getting whatever the maggots were feeding off of in the carpet. You're not getting that out of the carpet. No, that stays. Mm-hmm. And the jury walked through this. It's a rough fucking day. Couldn't do a video tour? This is 2011. You couldn't get... We want them to taste it. (laughs) Just hanging in the air. Like, yeah, you couldn't have got someone to walk through with a camera and just... No, no. No. We want you to see it, smell it. We want your eyes watering from it. Yeah. You're going to have to throw those clothes away. Sewell was convicted on all but two of the 85 charges on July 22nd, 2011. I'd love to know what the two charges were. Yeah, right? And what was the debate about them? Well, he didn't really abuse the corpse. That's probably it. Like, what really does this mean? Right. It's going to be the stupid ones. Now, Sewell did give a statement to the court. He gave one where he apologized to the victim's families and said, quote, this is not typical of me. I don't do this all the time. Right. On August 10th, Sewell was given the death penalty, and on September 14th, he was sent to death row at, ooh, Chilakati Correctional Institution? That's how I'm saying it. Sewell went through the usual routine of appealing his conviction, but in reality, he was pretty much fucked by the weight of evidence found in his house, because... We we found her in your bed. Mm Mm-hmm. The parlor. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. You left her in the front room. Yeah. Man. You don't kill your dates and leave them in the front room? (laughs) I mean, if I kill anyone, I'm not leaving them in the front room. You know why? Because I'd be better at better at it than this. Yeah, this, is this is just stupid. Embarrassingly like, stupid. Like this is crack behavior. Because even our first, very first epi- episode in Englewood with uh, Andre Crawford and who's it? At least they left them in abandoned buildings that weren't connected to them. It didn't take the bodies back to their fucking house and be like, hey, 
wasn't me. Jesus Christ. In total, Sewell spammed a total of 21 points of appeal, with his strongest one being that he did not receive a fair trial because of the extensive media coverage of his case. Quote, the media attention was overwhelming, generating thousands of news stories, and local coverage was both frenzied and sustained, was his argument. Despite his appeals, the death penalty was upheld and Sewell was sent to wait on death row. But he would avoid being executed when he died of an unspecified terminal illness on February 8th, 2021, at the age of 61. So not executed, but at least he's dead. Yeah. So that's a thing. I'll take that. Sewell's case received a heavy amount of local press, but its national coverage was relatively small, especially when compared to the Ariel Castro story that broke in Cleveland in May 2013. Yeah. I'm sure this has nothing to do with race or lifestyles of the victims or anything like that. No, never. Not at all. Definitely not. And this was true for a memorial to the victims of Sewell, as it took until 2021, the same year Sewell died, for there to be a memorial dedicated to their memories. And this is called the Garden of Eleven Angels. Sewell's house was demolished in 2011. Good. Gladys Wade and LaTundra Bilbs both sued the East Cleveland Police Department for the complete mishandling of their individual cases. Yeah, you fucking think? Because, hi, we came forward and you did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's up? <laughs> Instead of serve and protect, that should be the motto. You come forward, we do nothing. That's accurate. We might get you killed. That's accurate. <laughs> I mean, shit, we We're thought... more likely to kill you than help you. <laughs> In 2019, the East Cleveland Police Department agreed to a settlement of $300,000 in total, with Latendra Billups getting $260,000 and Gladys Wade only receiving forty. The fuck? Yeah. I don't understand that split. I don't either, and it's such a tiny amount. Yeah, like they both should have gotten at least that much each. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like three hundred thousand is nothing. Yeah. Forty grand is fucking nothing that's a for what happened to Gladys yeah. Wade, man. That's whoa. Yeah. Wanna go to Cleveland? <laughs> not really. I mean, we could. And we're not the only ones who are a little. Harsh on the East Cleveland Police Department and their handling of this case as a whole, as they have taken heat from pretty much everyone, everywhere for what happened here. Which is a good thing, because I feel like not enough people in the Holly Bobo case really lay into the TBI for their mishandling of that case. So the fact that the ECPD definitely got some blowback for how badly this was handled, that's a good thing. That is a good that thing. That is a good thing. And, you know, it's this is a shitty case because you also got the racial component, like we mentioned with Ariel Castro, and this didn't give us much and play. The addiction and sex worker component. It's a really sad case yeah. overall. Like, I don't like this one. Anthony Sewell was a dick 
Oh, he's awful. Yeah, he was a total piece of shit. And the fact that he's not a talker. Like, so we don't really know any of his motivation. Like, what was it? I just like doing crack and killing people. Did you hate women? Did you just have a sexual thing? Like... We don't know. We don't know. So, yeah, that's that's the story of Anthony Sewell, and it is unsatisfying. Of course it is. <laughs> it's almost as unsatisfying as an unsolved. Yeah. Just because there's so little. Like, exactly. I like knowing why these assholes do this. Yeah, it helps. It helps me know exactly why I should hate you. Right. Like, no, I hate you because of the killing and whatnot, but what motivated... Oh, now I really hate you. There's the logic behind it, and it's just really stupid. Whereas this guy could have been as simple as I like. I like crack. I like getting my dick wet. And I like killing. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. If you like that story, feel free to rate or review us on Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever. Stitcher. There's another one. Whatever platform you use. There are tons of them. You're obviously listening to us on something. I hope so. If this is directed into your head, you have problems. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, though. We apologize. Elon Musk is kidnapped. You went and implanted you with a brain chip. <laughs> or you can just tell people about us on social media you can share us on and all that too there are many many ways you can help us out do all that well we need lots of help yeah <laughs> we need so much help <laughs> we still have our first patron that's Kate Roop Wagner she's the shit thank you very much we appreciate it very much until next time have fun and play safe Woo. bye Hey everyone, before we get started this week, we have an announcement to make, and it's a pretty cool one. Uh, we're having our first contest, so that's a whole lot of fun. Basically, what we're doing is um, go on whatever platform you use. There are two ways to enter, let me start that way. First way is go on whatever platform you use, give us a rating. If, you know, there's a write-up and shit, you can just leave your name in there and we'll see it. If not, take a screenshot, email it to us, and uh, you'll... Basically, your name will be put in a draw. And the other way is to share your favorite episode of ours on your social media and do the same thing again. Take a screenshot or link to us so we actually see it and whatnot. And then everybody who does that, their name is going to be put in a raffle. And whoever wins the raffle is going to get some of our merch. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I think the merch package will be a T-shirt, um, a cup, uh, like a coffee mug with our logos on it, and something else I'm pretty sure that I can't think of right now. Unfortunately, Gene is not around right now and I'm just doing this as an overdub. But, um, and also depending on like reaction to this, if we don't get a whole lot of people, it's probably just going to be the one prize. If we get a lot of response from this, we might make like a grand prize and two lower prizes. So, uh, this is basically going to be going on for all of March and we will announce the winners on our first episode in April. So once again, that's just give a rating and a review, send us the screenshot or, share one of our episodes or the show itself on social media, send us a screenshot and you'll be put in the raffle to win some of our merch. You can email us at mentalillnesstheater at gmail.com and you can find us on social media at Mental Illness Theater, the worst on Facebook, Mental Illness Theater on Patreon, and Unicorn Holes on Instagram. <laughs>